0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whittaker, and it's great to have you here with us today. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. So let's get straight on with today's show. I believe that at any one time, there are only a small handful of people in our industry who rarely influence hairdressing all over the world. I've been fortunate enough to have had the opportunity to interview some of them on the podcast, and I always relish the opportunity to find out what it is that separates their ability from others. I don't have a definitive answer, except to say that it's definitely not about how many Instagram followers they have, or who they socialize with, or where they live, or went to school. And it's not just about what they do with their hands, although that's obviously important. But what really separates them is how they think, how they think about fashion, about art, about people, about creativity, about culture, about collaboration, and how they channel all of that into their work. My guest on today's podcast is Eugene Suleiman, who really is, without doubt, one of the very top session hairdressers in the world. Eugene is that rare breed of hairdresser who really is an artist, as much as he genuinely dislikes being called that. His work inspires other editorial stylists and salon hairdressers alike the world over. And along with two or three other people, he is at the very top of the pile. Today's podcast is the first of a two-part series. In these two podcast episodes with Eugene, we'll discuss his journey into hair, Transitioning from being a salon to an editorial hairdresser, the importance of humility and being open to new ideas, how to nurture and develop creativity in others, and what it's really like to be one of the most in demand session hairdressers in the world, and lots more. So, without further ado, welcome to the show, Eugene Sullivan.
1: Well, thank you, Anthony. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for uh, for being here. I've wanted to have this conversation for a long time, so uh, I'm I'm really uh, looking forward to the next hour and a bit. So I've got so much to ask you, um, so I'm going to jump straight in because I know time's you know always of the essence, and uh, I want to put everything into context and sort of start with that obvious question, sure. which is to start at the beginning of your career, and really just to 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 sort of um, ask you how did you get into hair? Why hairdressing? What was your journey into that?
1: I mean uh i 'll i 'll start very briefly from the beginning right uh i was never very good at school i was never uh academic uh everything i excelled in that gave me great enjoyment was kind of art based you know it was you know my art class uh and that was pretty much it you know uh so i i wasn 't the best student in the world, and i never gravitated towards Anything that uh, I would class would set me up for life in a real job. I was always, always a creative, always a dreamer. Having said that, uh, I managed um, to to actually get into Goldsmiths College. Uh, I don't know how I got through my exams, but I managed to get into Goldsmiths College uh, and started to do a foundation course in art, uh, which is a course which kind of it is pretty much uh, gives you everything, you know, like drawing, painting, sculpture, conceptual art, the whole, the whole thing. So you find your feet, decide where you you want to go. But at that time, I was in a band. I was in a I was in a punk band, and to be really honest with you, uh, I I wasn't that focused on my my art really I, you know i just i just wanted to have blue spiky hair and get the bass out and the plexum and just go nuts right yeah yeah uh, i had way too much energy to be to be calm and be focused I, and 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 i was all over the place so they kicked me out of art school quite early on sure. after about three or four months i think and i just stayed with the band for like another six months we split up of course we did because we were like 18 19 uh, and i really didn't know what to do i had no clue uh and to be really honest with you i don't think i'd even really thought about a career as such you know um and i went to a job center and i filled out this uh multiple choice questionnaire and the lady said to me you'd make a really good hairdresser and i said what <laughs> yeah uh, I, I really didn't want to be a hairdresser. I hadn't even thought about it as a job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I said, oh, okay. And then she explained to me what the career entailed. And, you know, there are a couple of ways of going about it. You could either go to college and get a city and guilds, um, or you can be an apprenticeship. You could do an apprenticeship for three years and you'd do a day release at a college, right? And um, I said, oh, don't want a job. So I, I went to college uh, to study hairdressing, uh, cosmetology, barbering, and wig-making. As, as a full-time course? As a full-time course, okay, which a- I have to say, uh, looking back at, at what that course taught me, it, it's, it, it's really been invaluable. Yeah, I'll bet. Right? And um, in terms of education, I don't think I could have got a better start yeah, like yeah. you, you learn everything: finger waves, pin curls, setting, blow drying, cutting, barbering, beard trimming, shaving, yeah. uh, doing nails, facial. Like you, you just learn everything. You, you even made a wig, like a whole hand knotted wig. Uh, do they still do that? Do they still have a course like that? Where yeah, the- I think I they do. I think the London College of Fashion does. Um, you know, uh, so so that's what I did, um, and I. Got got my city and guilds in those three areas, and yeah. uh, I applied for a job in a barbershop shop, uh, in a hotel, in the Grosvenor House Hotel and the Churchill Hotels. There was a a young man called Edward. Yeah. It was a little bit like Trumpers, you know. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, like Edward Heath used to go in there to get his hair cut. Lots of politicians, and at that time I was kind of walking around in like you know Vivian Westwood clothing, and I had like. One side of my head was like shaved and I had this asymmetric kind of bob that yes. was burgundy and black underneath with a black stripe <laughs> in <the> front. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so
0: I've been that
1: well. We're at the same age, right? So you'll understand what I'm saying. Yeah. I was, I was a, what would you call it, a new romantic or a yeah. club? Uh, yeah. And the manageress, she was a, a, a really lovely woman called Sylvia Latimer, who I've totally lost contact with and I should get back in contact with her just said, news, what are you doing? <laughs> like, w- why are you working here? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you, you know, li- literally, I had no, no clue. Mm. Do you know, you need to work somewhere where there's like, you know, like young people, there's a lot of energy, you know, ideas, you, you know, like, look, you're nuts. Like, this is too, this isn't you. You shouldn't be working in a in a place like this. Look, I've made you an appointment to get your hair cut by someone called Trevor Sorby, <laughs> uh, and and I want you to ask him for a job. And I said, all right then. So I went to the salon. Unfortunately, Trevor wasn't available, but his manager w- was who cut my hair, uh, and I got talking to John, and he and I just said, you know, I really like the job. And he said, well, we're interviewing for you know like um, you know first year. Uh, First year operatives, which means you'll be an assistant for a x amount of time, maybe a year, and uh, then you'll get on the floor. So I went for a, I went for an interview with Trevor, like the first interview, and he said to me, well, "You know what? You know, can you do this? Can you do that?" I'm like, "Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, and that, and that, and that." And he said, "Oh, you're quite a cocky little thing, aren't you?" And <laughs> <laughs> I said, do you think so? He said, yeah. He said, you, you know, you're quite you, you, you know, you, you, yeah, there's a bit of fire in you. He said, i tell you what, he said, you've definitely passed this interview, but if, if your hands are as good as your mouth, <laughs> I'll give you a job. <laughs> Obviously I, I did my, uh, I, you know, I did my test, you know, I brought in the models that they wanted me to bring in and showed them what they wanted to see. And they said, yeah, you, you've you know, you've got the job, like literally there on the spot. So uh, I started work at Trevor Sulby, washing hair, you know, assisting a stylist called Steve Moore, uh, who now lives in America. He's got an amazing salon in, in Marblehead in Boston. Uh, and after about four or five months, I became Trevor's junior. And I, I think I was probably the worst junior he ever had. <laughs> I mean, he'll tell you if you ever speak to him about it. Yeah. But, but we really got on like a house on fire. Like we really connected as, as people and as hairdressers. And uh, he just took me on everything, like, you know, magazine shoots, photographic shoots, uh, uh, seminars, shows, uh, videos, because they made videos back then, you know, educational videos, videos. And, you know, and I was his right-hand man for about, I don't know, a year. Two three years, and I kind of got on the floor, and I started doing seminars, my own seminars, and and session work, and you know everything kind of went on from there. I went out with a model. Uh, she introduced me to loads of people that were that were working at ID in the Face magazine, and nothing. I, I guess nothing for me has ever really been planned.
2: Mm.
1: What I what I've done is I've literally just kind of floated through all of it, and, and I, I, I don't know, but I, I, I've made some really great choices that have appeared to me and n- never really thought about them. I've just been very instinctive about um, what I feel has been right. So it was it a... hasn't let me down so far, which is great.
0: <laughs> right. So, so it was never a conscious decision that you, no, you... No. Because you were Never. in the salon for a long time, weren't you? You were in Trevor Sorby's salon for, yeah,
1: what, I, 10 I, years? I, or? You know, I, oh, more, more. Uh, and, and when I started doing session work, I would always go in there for like a couple of days, you know, uh, just to... I, I love being in a salon, to be really honest with you. And, and I, I think um, coming from such a great place as Trevor's... Mm.
2: Um,
1: and it, it just had like the most amazing environment to it. There were like incredible people working there. There were other session hairdressers that used to come in and do a Saturday or mm. you know, it was like one big kind of family. Yeah. You know.
0: What what is it that makes Trevor so special?
1: Well, how long have you got?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh First of all, and first and foremost, he is an amazing person. He's mm-hmm. a great guy. He's very bright. He's really accommodating. He's sensitive, uh, and he's got a lust for life, and he has a serious uh, attention deficit when it comes to doing hair. Mm. Yeah. But he's just like, you watch him do hair. You used to watch him do hair, and he would be – transported into this other place. You know, there was, there was nothing existed when he, when he had a pair of scissors in his hands or a comb or he was yeah. touching, other than exact, he was totally present. He was there in that place at, at that time. And looking at the way he worked and how his hands worked and his facial expressions and how he would do things was beautiful. It's, it's incredible to watch, you know, and he's total natural. Like a total yeah. natural. I never he doesn't struggle you can you can when you look at that man do hair you can just feel the love of the craft it, it's, mm-hmm. it's really very magical to look at yeah. uh, and I guess the other thing is Trevor is what I would call probably one of the best all-round hairdressers I've, I've ever seen in my life because mm-hmm. he he started off in his dad's barbershop well, we all start off in barbering for some strange reason. I don't know why.
2: Yeah,
1: So I got off his dad's barber shop in Glasgow. Uh, and then he came down to London and he worked at Sassoons. Mm. He was an art director at Sassoons for a number of years. Uh, and then he decided that he wanted to broaden his horizon in terms of hair and he worked for Leonard, who was a hairdresser. And at that point in, in England, there were two schools of hairdressing. There was Leonard and there was Sassoon's. Mm-hmm. Right. There were the hair cutters and the hairdressers. And Trevor learned how to dress hair. Not only could he cut hair, in a, you know, precisely like Mark, someone like Mark, he could also dress hair like someone like Aldo Coppola or Leonard, you know. Yeah. You know, he could Marcel wave, he could set hair, he could put hair up, he could braid hair, he could do everything. Yeah. Literally. Trevor's a little bit like um like going to like a really high-end Chinese restaurant where there were so many dishes on offer. <laughs> and they're all yeah. of I mean the list yeah. is endless when, you're going, when you go you, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, and what he did teach me, right, was he, he taught me that there are um there are no boundaries. The only boundaries that exist, right, in hairdressing are the boundaries you create. That's really what he taught me. He was a very free thinker. And uh, and he said, look, you, you never be afraid of making mistakes because a mistake will always take you to a place that you never imagined you could go to. Mm. And if you work with mistakes that you make, he... you you can really produce some really fantastic, really fantastic work. Mm. So, I mean, he kind of taught me that um, to kind of think of hair in, I wouldn't say a more spiritual way,
2: Mm.
1: but he would say, you know, when you look at a head of hair and you look at a person, you get a feeling for them and a vision for them and ideas come from them. And you need to be aware that that person is your inspiration and you need to feed off of that person and nurture the way you feel and reproduce something from a hair point, from a hair perspective for them. that's just for them. Yeah. You know, you,
0: you you touched on the barbering thing and you're right. There's a lot of great hairdressers in this industry who started out their journey in a Uh barbershop. What what is it? About that foundation that you get from barbering, that stands you in such good stead further down the line.
1: Uh, I think the sense of proportion. uh, I think the shape of a head, how to work with a three-dimensional surface that changes shape, um, growth patterns. Okay. You know, I think you look. You look at when I look at barbering, I would say like barbering is the equivalent to tailoring for a head.
0: mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, good analogy. So you, you, you're in the salon as a stylist there for 10, 12, 15 years, whatever. Yeah. What, what was it that made you let the salon go? What, what was it that made you transition? Was it a moment in time where you thought, okay, no more salon work, just full into editorial now?
1: I didn't think that. It was a transitional period, right? And for me, um, there, was a, there was a hunger uh, to actually take – what I was doing and, and, and put it into another area and be creative in a different way. Okay. For me, it was that, that quest for knowledge and, and hunger.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and, and bear in mind as well, you know, like a lot of the people that I was hanging out with in those days were in fashion because it was a really fashionable salon to go in, you know, like yeah. loads of musicians, like Grace Jones used to come in there. Like, you, you know, like, I mean, so 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 for me I was kind of like I've always been into music, always, from that and, and, and I saw I, I saw a connection between um, between art, music, fashion and hairdressing. Okay. And I wanted to explore that subconsciously. I know that's what I wanted to do now. At the point in time I wasn't quite aware of it, but but now mm. I am
0: yeah yeah do you miss being in a salon at all with salon clients
1: actually you know you're going to be really surprised yes
0: oh no i'm not surprised at all that's quite a special relationship you have you know with clients and that salon energy when people get it right it's a very special you know experience isn't it oh yeah for sure yeah
1: i mean i i i loved it um the only thing I wasn't particularly fond of was, was starting work at a certain time, like at nine o'clock and finishing and, and, and running behind because I was always one of those people that was very much like Trevor in that sense. That's probably why, you know, we we got on so well. Uh, that I was I was always in another I was I was always in a zone whenever I, I did and I still am whenever yeah. I do now. Uh, so time for me was also, was a bit of a struggle, especially if I was getting into a haircut and it was, you know, something really interesting and there was, you know, like, you, you know, my next client was like, you know, like a long-layered haircut. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be a bit like, oh, I'd want to spend a bit more time on that and refine that. And I think that's where the kind of the the barbering, my love for barbering has, has, has come in came in you know precision sharpness shape
0: yeah yeah okay all right let's talk about the the sort of creativity side of things because i, I think that the word artist is totally overused in this industry uh, but really? you are one of the few people that i would refer to as an artist would be you and our I mutual
1: friend one to be really well. With
0: you. Okay, well that's that's your humility, which you're also known for. But uh, our mutual friend, and this ties perfectly into it, actually, our mutual friend Duffy, uh, yes. who I had on an earlier podcast. He said that one of the many things that he really admires about you is that when people say to you, "What do you do?", you describe yourself as a lady's hairdresser. Yeah, and and I love that. But, but, you know, I think that's fantastic. That's your, that's your roots. You know, Um, but let's talk about the artist side of things, because you, along with a very small group of others, you Uh know, really are what I would consider an artist. You do stuff with hair that comes from a level of creativity that is very, very rare. So um, how do you, how does that, how do you develop that? How do you develop that in yourself? And how do you develop it in other people? Because I know that you're responsible for other people on your team. So, so what's the key to to developing that artistic, that creative side of yourself or other people?
1: For for me, I, I can only really speak personally about it because I think uh, uh, creativity is a very is a very personal thing. Um, so, I guess. For me I have a low threshold for doing things that I assume or, or I think are kind of mundane like I, I I know I know I need routine but I also need to break away from routine and kind of discover things you know uh, so I think that's something that's just innate in me as a person um, and. I guess as as I've gotten older or I've grown, um, what I've what I've done is I've I've become a a, a good listener, um, and I love listening to people that are good at what they do or great at what they do. Whether it's uh, you know an architect, whether it's uh, a chef, whether it's an artist, you know, sculptor, whatever. Whatever. I I love listening to people and I love listening to their kind of um, creative insights. I find them really, really stimulating. And in a strange kind of way, I see myself as a student. I don't see myself as a master, as an artist, as a creative. Uh, I see myself being on a journey creatively creatively. Um, and I'm very lucky really very lucky to to have uh, a, a a great set of friends that work in uh, different creative um, forms you know like I've, I've got a friend who's kind of like who's a DJ um, you know and is an absolute genius uh, and and You know, we were out about 10 years ago, and he said, oh, I just really want to know what that track is. And then a week later, he came back to me, and he said, I've got this idea. And I said, oh, yeah, what's that? He said, because he's a bit of a techno kind of whiz kid. He said, I've got this idea. Wouldn't it be amazing, right, is if you could go to a club or a bar or a restaurant, right, and you heard a particular piece of music, and on your phone, right, your phone could listen to that piece of music, right? And tell you what that song was. Right. And I said, yeah, that'd be amazing, Noah. And a year and a half down the line, he he invented Shazam. Amazing. With one of his friends. And I just thought, I just thought, that's just like fantastic. (laughs) I mean, like amazing. I mean, he's driving like, you know, like Formula One cars now. That's all he all he does and plays music. And he teaches young kids how to DJ and yeah. You know, he does really good work. You know, so so for me, it, it's really creativity. I think is everywhere. Right. I think the the most important thing is to be aware that creativity is everywhere, and not to be too specific uh, about looking for it. It's really about enjoying it and enjoying that moment and those ideas those concepts that you kind of experience they'll end up in your work you don't need to um be specific about taking an idea from somewhere and and using it i i don't you know i just live my life and ideas come to me you know uh all the time you know uh so 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 for me i just think it's like i think it's the way you're made Mm. Or, or for me it is you know it's just it's just the way I'm made I think everyone is creative and I think a lot of people are a little too serious and they don't play enough okay you know and I think playing with hair and looking at hair from a different perspective taking into account you, you know what someone else does in another medium is really interesting i mean for me like one of my major sources of uh, of inspiration is uh, is a chef called Heston Blumenthal do you know him oh,
0: yeah. yeah yeah i know yeah yeah
1: i think is it absolutely incredible
0: yeah he's a genius i
1: really i really love his take on work how it's mm-hmm. how it's emotional uh it's intellectual it's based on the senses i, I mean i'm I mean, absolute genius, mm. absolute genius. And and if you've ever eaten any of his food, you'll you'll say he's a genius. Yeah, definitely. Because it's, it's everything. It's like the presentation of the food, uh, the the environment you're in, how it's cooked, the combinations. I mean, I mean, absolutely mind blowing. Like yeah. literally mind blowing. You know, and and then I can look at say something like. Um, like a Mark Rothko painting. I don't know if you've ever been to the Tate Gallery. Yeah,
2: yeah, right? yeah.
1: There's a little room in the Tate, which is sadly gone, and there's four paintings that are huge and red, and it's all blocked off. And, you know, um, someone will – you go in there, right, and you just look at these paintings, and you can feel this vibration of energy. Like, you, I, I can feel it. I can hear a humming. Like, the colours make a sound mm. to, to me. Uh, and a lot of people like Nick. Nick. Nick's very much like me. He's a really big mate, Mr. Nick Irwin. Uh, and I think is probably one of his favourite painters and he's certainly one of, one of mine. And, and uh, you know, uh, I think you can look at something like that with an open mind, a creative mind, and, and get something from it. Someone in there, right, that's kind of very close will just go, oh, it's a piece of it's a red painting you know, like a very interesting thing happened to me once when, um, I was, I was at Weller and we, we, we did a thing called Trend Vision, which was this huge global competition of hairdressers. Uh, and on the back of it, there were workshops and you, you know, there were press interviews and I was, I was being interviewed, um, by the press, you know, like a group of people from China, from Japan, you know, Italy, Portugal and America and Canada. Uh, And one of the journalists said, you know, like, you know, like, you know, like Trend Vision, Eugene, you know, like the pictures you produce, you know, I was, I was talking to one of my friends who's a really big salon owner and he doesn't understand them. He doesn't understand the pictures. He doesn't see what they can bring to his business. And I said, well, you know, I said it's all very simple, right? I mean, you can you can you can look at something in purely just a visual way and work out how it's technically done and maybe look at the aesthetics of it, and maybe they're not quite your aesthetics. I said, but but if you go beyond that, right, and you look at why it's been done and the mentality that's gone behind creating those looks. There's an attitude, there's a zeitgeist, there's a feeling of the moment, mm. right? That's really what your friend needs to tap into. You yeah. know, that's the most important part of it. You know, uh, it's not, oh, it's, it's this colour and, and, it, and it's, you know, it's towering, defying gravity in, that, in this area. I, I said it, it goes much deeper than that. It's mm. about mindset. You know, and, and I said, and let me explain that to you. I said, Do you see the chair you're sitting in? And she said, Yes. I said, Well, stand up and look at it and, and tell me what you see. Right. And, 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 she's, and it was, um, do you know the uh, Danish designer, Arne Jacobsen?
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Right. Uh, it was an Arne Jacobsen uh, chair uh, on steel legs, classic thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it had his a signature cutout of a horizontal crescent in the back mm-hmm. of the chair, right? And she said, and I said, so what do you see? She said, I see a, I, I, I see a, a, a white chair with steel legs. And I said, yeah, I said that's that's what you see, and and, and that's what it is. But to me, I see something that looks happy i see a happy chair i see a chair that wants you to sit on it that's welcoming Mm. and all the other journalists in the room they were they were like they were like they were like clapping they were like oh that's yeah yeah we totally we totally get that and i said and i said to the journalist do do you see what i mean Mm. yeah actually i i I do understand what you mean yeah yeah i get it i said so i said you know it's everything everything that we do and everything that we experience right is based on our perception, mm. you know, what we've seen and come before, you know, and, and, and that's it. And your friend can see whatever he wants to see. That's part of being, you know, like a, like a human being. Everyone's allowed yeah. their opinion. They should have their opinion. Mm. you know. But if something comes along, right, that's going to enhance how you look at things or see things, it should be seen as good, not as negative.
0: Yeah. It's, no, that's, that's really interesting really interesting.
1: You know and, and I think that was that was you know that's kind of how I see creativity I think it's everywhere it's yeah. just a question of you really enjoying it and seeing it and kind of letting it inspire letting the world inspire you. Well
0: let me ask you this question you, you you, when I referred to you as being one of the few people that are an artist, you were very quick to sort of go, oh, no, that's not me sort of thing, you know. And there's a humility about you, okay? So what I want to ask you is this, and that is, is humility integral in developing your creativity? Because your ego's not getting in the way that you sort of, you know, that, that, do the you know what I mean? To, that there's an openness.
1: The answer to your question is definitely yes, I think. Yeah um and i'll i uh, i I'll, I'll, I'll tell i'll tell you why because I think the situation is always bigger than the person yeah where you, you know the environment's always bigger uh, yeah. and and for me um obviously I come from very uh working class roots right uh so I guess that's been something that maybe has been instilled in me um, to be aware that, you know, I'm not the only person in the world that exists. I know I'm not. There's millions and millions of people out there. Um, I think my ideas are valid, of course. But mm. at, at the same time, um, I I, th- I think being humble shows an openness to to, to actually receiving yeah. information. You know, yeah. and, and I think it's also respectful. It's, it's, mm. it's a form of respect for what's around you and who's around you. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I'll, I'll always listen to what someone's got to say. Mm. You know, I'll make my own opinion afterwards, but yeah, I'll yeah. always give someone uh, a, a chair, you know. And you're receptive to Yeah, I think that's mm. so important, mm. you know. And, and also, really, with what I do, I I work with like these incredibly talented people, you know, in, in the fashion industry that have a real a real vision. And why would I not want to learn from them? Mm. You know, because surely if I learn from them, that's going to enhance what I do. But do
0: you find that that in the very best of the people that you work with, and you've worked with the biggest names on the the planet, do you think that humility runs through them as well, that that's part of their ingredient for creative success?
1: In some some way, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I see it in someone like John. I see it in people like Vivian Westwood. I see it in Yoji. I see it in Tom Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah because okay. because because without humility, you can't question yourself, right? And you can't mm. question what you do, you know. And and I think we're always asking ourselves these questions: What would happen if I did this? How would how would I feel about that? What mm. what's the point of difference? You know, you've got you've you've got to listen, right, and accumulate information to be able to do what you do. Mm. Uh, you, you know, it's not. It's, it's like I can't go to a show, right, or, or 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 work with a designer, right, and just go. It's all about the hair, because it's yeah. not. Mm. I'm part of a team, right, and I have to be respectful of the people with of the people that I'm working with, mm. and and also they they also have a very valid opinion. The fantastic thing, which I'm, I used to freak me out in the beginning, right? That, um, that that I find really inspiring now is that designers, right, and, and, and creators have no knowledge on how or technically how you achieve those things. So their ideas and their concepts are not based on technique.
2: Yeah,
1: they're based on feelings, imagination. Uh, and, and, and I always think that's a really great place because I've got the techniques, but when I get an idea that's presented to me, I actually have to think about how would I approach that?
2: Mm.
1: Right. So technically, right. I'm being challenged. Mm. Right. And, and I love that. I love, I love a challenge.
0: Yeah, it's good because sometimes technique yeah. can actually limit your creativity, can't absolutely. it? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, yeah. you think, well, I can't, you can't do that. That's against the rules. But if you don't have any rules, if you don't have any technique, then you're able to look at it in a,
1: you know, in a completely open way, which has got to be a good. Yeah, thing. I mean, I, I think that's like amazing. Amazing, you know, like, you know, like for for instance, right? I mean, and some, I mean, and it's even led me into doing. I do hair, right? But I also kind of—I always play with other materials that are symbolic of hair.
2: Mm.
1: You know, like um, like I, you know, like I work with lace. I work with glitter. I I stitch hair. You know, uh, you know, I drip like coloured rubber silicone on it. You know, I mean, I'll go anywhere, really. Yeah, you, yeah. With, Or or I'll, or I'll you know drip candle on here until it becomes a whole week of like drips. I mean, mm. you know, so I, I'm really concerned with the kind of relationship um, of, uh, of how you can create an emotion or a, uh, a, a feeling or, or movement on a head. Right. Mm. Uh, I use a lot of feathers, you know? So, I mean, so, so for me, I, I don't think there's anywhere that I, wouldn't go with hair, you know. I think hair is a material, right, that should be really enjoyed and, and, and played with and, and pushed. And I love doing that. I love taking something uh, and, uh, and evolving it to something else and just keep, keep pushing that concept until it implodes and then I'm just like totally sick of it and then I've got the hunger to do something else yeah. you know and, and so, I think working with people that I work with they kind of they 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 really help with that because they're far thinkers they're not you know narrow minded yeah so
0: so when it comes to that word artist again the way you talk the way you've just been talking the last five minutes it's right. like well if that's not an artist what the hell is so so what you know how do
1: you define an artist uh I would say they're a communicator, isn't that what you do? Like they're a person that. Yeah, in, in some in some respects, right? But but the other the other my my other point is, it's on a person. Yeah, and and to me, they're the most important thing. Um, I could be an artist, yes. Okay. For sure. You know, I could I I could cover a room with like hand-knotted hair from a, a wig and create fields of hair and and shapes and patterns and lengths and textures and yes, I could. Yeah, I could totally do that. Maybe I will do one day. I'm not quite ready for that. At the moment, but, okay. <laughs> but that is that is that, that's a possibility. Yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It is. Um, I I know you've lived in. I know you live in London at the moment, and this right. is home where you were born. Uh, but also know you've lived in in uh, the United States, and you've even lived in Melbourne in Australia. Yeah. Uh, what I wanted to ask you about is how does where you live influence your creativity?
1: That's a really good question. Actually, um, I think. For me, uh, every place has a. This might sound a little unusual. Every place has a rhythm, right? You know, like if you go to the countryside, you know, and you, you you know you live in a field, everything's like much slower, much calmer, uh, and you get time to think. Um, now, when I lived in New York, I had absolutely no time to think right and um i quickly realized right that i had to be fast right i really had to be fast and, and that for me was not not something that i i initially enjoyed right i you know i was like oh you know i, I want to be creative i want to do this i want to do that so it forced me to to be one more articulate because I had to get my point across really quickly, right? And it taught me to be more uh, instinctive and intuitive and more focused, like really very focused, right? There's no dream. It was like, you know, you're going to work, right? And we start at at 8 o'clock in the morning and we finish at 7. That's it. They're the rules. There's no no more money for the studio. It's business, right? And for for me... um, creativity and commerce they were two conflicting areas right because i didn't quite know how to uh, maneuver between the two so it kind of really honed my skill set in that way right uh so new york was amazing for for me it, t- it taught me a lot and i grew up very quickly which was not before time i gotta say mm-hmm. uh and, and I really enjoyed it. I really, I really enjoyed the pace of it. Uh, I really enjoyed the energy of it. I, I love the diversity of the city. I love the fact that it was an inspiring place. You know, people, people from all around the world were there. It was like this big melting pot of of, of, of creativity, of, speak, of energy. You know, and I absolutely loved it, and I still love it to this day. Mm. I would. Not have a problem moving back to New York mm. at all, mm. right? Uh, and Australia is a di- completely different animal. Australia for me was was about um, kind of uh, was about lifestyle and family, you know, and having the time to enjoy my private life and uh, see the benefits of that. Mm spending time with my kids, getting back to drawing, um, you know, having all that time to do those projects that I never had the time to do. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was like a working holiday in in a a sense. Yeah. And I also found it really inspiring because I was in a completely different part of the world. I was looking at very different uh, natural habitat, you know, like, Birds there, trees. There's some incredible architecture in Melbourne, like unbelievable architecture. Mm. Very forward thinking. There's some fantastic galleries there. I loved it, mm. you know.
0: Okay, but London is your sort of, is this where you feel the most free creatively, most connected, whatever?
1: Yeah, I feel the most connected here because I, I, I feel, um, yeah, my roots are here. But having said mm. that, I quite like Paris.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do too. Yeah. You know,
1: um, so, you know, that was, that's, you know, that's just like another another place that's mm. kind of gives you a different feeling, you know.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Like culture of the, the art that's been there, even the language, the language is like beautiful.
0: Yeah, isn't
1: it? You know, it's yeah. like, it's, it's not like, you know, like we go, oh, you, you know, like, oh, you, you say to someone, see, see you later right, they'll say uh, something like bon courage, good yeah. courage, which yeah, is yeah. like poetry, isn't it? I mean, to, yeah. to me, it's, like, it's poetry. I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. Or like, you know, like "monteur," and you're like, wow. You know, yeah. you, I mean, it's just like another, it, it, it's 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 another thing, which I appreciate and I love,
0: you know. Yeah, I know. My, my daughter lived there for a while last year. and uh, Right. I got to spend a bit of time there and it's a beautiful city, beautiful country, beautiful language, different beauty aesthetic. You know, I often wish as a hairdresser in the 80s, I always toyed with the idea of going to work and live there for a bit. And it's one of the regrets that I didn't, because you do learn to appreciate and understand a different beauty aesthetic. Um, sure. And it would have only made me you know, more complete. But um, let's get, let's get back to you. You threw in a, a, a few names before, and you just used the the Christian names of people. Uh, John was one of them. I'm assuming you're talking John Galliano, and then Yoji, and there's only one Yoji, uh, so you know that would be Yoji Yamamoto. Um, oh, I know you work a lot with Yoji Yamamoto. Uh, what do you take from the designer? Because both those guys, Galliano, Yamamoto, they're just in. The, they're just they're geniuses of what they do. So to work in the proximity and to have the conversations that you have with them must just be a phenomenal experience. Talk to us about that.
1: Okay. Um, y- 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 Yoji, there's not really a lot you could say about him. He's an abs- he's a, I-, I know the word legend, right, has kind of been used, or maybe overused, but... Mm. For the bottom of my heart, he—he—he's an absolute legend. The guy, like, he—he—he he, he really is. Uh, for Yoji, um, he was the first person that ever booked me to do a Paris show. Okay, and I'm still doing these shows, which is mm-hmm. unbelievable. And uh, he's—he comes from a time in Japan, um, like, like post, you, you know, like post-war when Japan was bombed you know uh so uh, the environment that he grew up in was like very quite, quite stark quite black um very mysterious you, you know you know what i mean there was a different kind of vibe yeah. to japan at that time so he kind of grew up with that which i guess has made his designs um Quite, quite stark and very special. Mm. I, rem- I, remember, I, re- I remember doing a show, my first show that I ever did with him, and I just remember seeing like racks of black,
2: mm.
1: right, and I just looked at them on the rack and I just thought, what am I going to do here? <laughs> right, and the, the amazing thing that they do is they kind of do these fittings uh, and castings at the same time as the fitting, as mm-hmm. our fitting. And when the clothes went on the girls, right, they they almost had this life of their own, right, this kind of supernatural kind of life. When they walked, like a dress would open up and a weight of a fabric would be slow in an area and and it would be sped up somewhere else, you know. So I kind of felt that I was in this kind of um, really bizarre kind of world that that had gravity, and there were areas where there was no gravity. And looking at it closer, I realized what Yoji was doing, right, was he was understanding what was inside the body and what touched the body in terms of fabric and what was left open. So he understood the space in between the, the garment and the structure of a person that gave it a life. Uh, and then I realised, right, that, look, hey, listen, if I approach this in a technical way, it's just not going to work because it really is about creating this kind of, I won't say it, but almost supernatural kind of quality and texture to hair, mm-hmm. you know. And, and that's when I realised, right, that for me, um, creatively, he, he, was, he was giving me so much. Right, and it completely changed how I thought about hair, that one fitting, It was like, um, it it was kind of like I I almost hadn't lived up until that point. Like I I knew nothing. And that was really very, very, very humbling and very interesting as well. Mm. Because I actually began to look at the spirit of what I do, not necessarily the technicality of what I do. Mm. I began to look at it in a hair in a more visual way, and, and there being more of a connection with clothes and, 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 and models. So that, for me, was a bit of a – well, wasn't a bit. It was a milestone in terms of inspiring me creatively.
0: That's, that's very interesting. I once heard someone – I don't know who it was now, but they were talking about music in a similar way, and they said that most people focus on the sound – in music, but what makes music special it's is the, the silence is the silence between the sounds. And That's I remember just thinking, oh my God, that is genius. Because yeah, that is speak. it, isn't it? That's Nick Irwin, for sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it wasn't Nick. <laughs> wasn't it?
0: Well
1: no, it's it totally, wasn't Nick. It's totally it's totally right. He's absolutely yeah. right. You know, um, and uh, and I and I think taking something away, allowing there yeah, to be space within a hairstyle is really important because I think that mm. gives it a life and I think it gives it a connection with the world that we live in because we allow nature to do something or someone's body to, yeah. to, to work without our work, you know, become mm. part of it. You know, and I think for me, I find that really beautiful.
2: Yeah.
1: you know. And, and then there's like someone like John, right, John Galliano, uh, and I've been working with John for about 12 years now for Dior, but I used to do all the campaigns, right, and then when he, you know, he started work at Margiela, I started working in a really intense way with John, and it was really a very enlightening experience for me as well. It was very similar to the one that I had with Yoji, but it was completely different, a completely different criteria to it. And I felt like I knew the industry as it was, and I, I felt like I knew quite a lot to get me through, right? But all of a sudden I felt like I discovered like this world within what I knew. It was a bit. It was a bit like, it was a bit of a Narnia experience. Yeah, like in the cupboard, and I realised behind the cupboard there was a whole other world.
2: Yeah,
1: right. Which I thought for for me was really um, very very inspiring. Mm. Like he's an extremely complicated creative individual, very articulate. I mean, can I can I push something here? Because I, I think
2: yeah,
1: yeah. I think to kind of understand what i what, what I've just said, I think it would be really interesting because uh Margella this season didn't do a show. We we did a film, uh and it and it is a real film. Uh the film's like over an hour long. It's part documentary and it's part of a story. The story is a is a story about a lost crown that's um that has an evil spirit to it, basically. And it's got three subplots to it. It was directed by Olivier, I can't even pronounce his name, but he is a, an Oscar-winning Oscar French film director. He's a proper film director. He's not a video director or someone that does pop promos. He's a real mm. director uh, with a real set. And it took three and a half weeks to film this whole this whole thing to truly understand what I'm trying to say about John it would be really great if anyone, if they have the time, or maybe they've seen it. I don't know, but uh, if they if they go to YouTube uh, or the Margiela website, there'll be a link on it, and the film is called a folk tale, a folk horror tale, uh, okay. and it's absolutely amazing. It's uh, it, it's really taken what we do in our industry to not even a whole other level. It's just a completely different, it's a completely different thing. Uh, and it's, it's really great to see someone like John, right, evolve from a designer to a storyteller. It's unbelievable. And, and, yeah. and I'm, I'm very much like that. I, I really appreciate that when people push their boundaries. Yeah. Like really. Really, really push them and go, all right, I'm not just going to dip my toe in the water here. I'm just I'm going to jump in. And do you know what? I've got a feeling about this and I'm going to go with my feeling, you know, and, and not worry about what people are thinking. Just be true to who they are and just be true creatives. Yeah. And, and he's done it, mate. And <laughs> It's amazing.
0: I'll, I'll track that down and I'll put a link in the show notes of the podcast for everybody. Yeah, so I'd love it. I, a, I'm, I'm really excited about I'm, looking at. I'm
1: it. Really, I was really flattered to work on that. I mean, yeah, yeah it was just yeah. an amazing. Experience. He's he's, he's a, a very different character to
0: Yamamoto. There was something I wanted to tell you about Yamamoto, and then I want to come back to John uh, Galliano, uh, and it is. Yoji yeah, Yamamoto once had this quote that I read somewhere and it was just one of those sentences that really leapt out off the page to me right. and definitely had an impact on me as a hairdresser. And right. I, I think you love this quote. Uh, he said, the art of the minimum requires a maximum of discipline. Absolutely. And I just thought that is such a perfect quote for hairdressing. It's a perfect quote for architecture. It's a perfect quote for, for his designs, for his clothing. Mm-hmm. um i just thought it, it really resonated like with hair and what we do and when you were just describing about here's this rack of clothes they're all black they're always all black or maybe he might throw a, 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 some white and some navy blue in but you know it's pretty that's his thing isn't it yeah yeah
1: yeah well i, I see i think i think i think it's like anything right i i think you know, especially in this day and age, where well, we haven't even talked about social media, and that's a whole other, th- other thing that we can talk about.
2: Yeah, but we I'm will. I'm
1: sure you're going to ask me something related to that somewhere along the line. Um, you, you know, we, we're very used now to being bombarded, right, by image after image and being slapped in the face all the time, right? And, you, you know, after a while of being slapped, you become immune to being slapped, the slap doesn't work anymore, right? And I think someone like Yoji, there's a quiet strength to what he does. Mm. There's, there's a quietness, there's a calmness yeah. to it, right, and, yeah. a, and a focus. And I always think, you know, when someone's been like sell, 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 and literally jumping on me, pushing an idea, when they finish, yeah, it hits home for a little bit of a while, but I forget it. And then sometimes if I'm having a really great, quiet, in-depth conversation with someone, it just stays with me. Mm. It, doesn't, it doesn't go away. It becomes part of me uh, yeah. and part of the way that I think, you know. And I think people like Yoji and people like John Galliano and people like Tom Brown and, and Junior Watanabe, they have a very specific Feeling and ethos about what they do, right? And their collections are collections, right? But their are evolutions, they evolve. They come from the same place. It's like looking at, say, someone like Rick Owens, right, who Duffy works with, right? Absolute genius, right? He, his collections, they evolve. You know when you see a, 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 a Galliano piece that is a Galliano? You know, when you see a Yoji, it's a Yoji. Mm.
2: You
1: know, when you see Junior, it's Junior. You know, when you see Conde Garson, it's Conde Garson. You know, when you see Rick, it's Rick. Mm. Right. And Tom, same thing, Tom Brown. You know, it's the same thing, right? So they have a spirit. They have an ethos. They have a belief in what they do, you know. And, And I think that's really very important. And they are people that I work with. I work with people that are true to themselves. Yeah, I don't work with people that are just flipping everywhere, you, you know, like after the new trend. Well, I hate
0: to tell you, but that's the end of part one of today's podcast. I hope you're enjoying this interview with Eugene as much as I am. He really is that rare breed of hairdresser whose creativity and humility is an inspiration. So make sure you check out his Instagram at Eugene Suleiman and also the movie with John Galliano for Maison Magella. And don't forget to join us next week for part two of this podcast with Eugene Suleiman. Until then, take care.